1: KC Laboratory, sponsored by Emprise Bank.
2: It's the KC Laboratory presented by Emprise Bank. When was the last time you went into a bank? Now more than ever, who you're doing business with is more important than where they're located. Emprise Bank is a trusted business partner that can serve anyone anywhere. They they were serv- serving the KC Draft Guy, and they will for years to come. Emprise Bank member FDIC. Uh, our partners, Impossible, absolutely wonderful people over there. If you are looking to change banks, they are absolutely who you need to call. Uh, this is a different episode. This is, a, I would almost say, this is a special episode because all three of us are together. And I don't know the last time that that's happened <laughs> on this program. June has been insane for us. I'm here with my dear pals. Find them on Twitter at Maddie underscore
1: KCSN. Matt, what's up? And it it's been legitimately a month. I think since we have started podcasting together, this might be the longest we have gone without having a podcast with all three of us uh, on here together. Can't decide he was too good for us. Tried to move on, couldn't, could have. Nobody took the bait, so he had to come <laughs> back last week while I was gone. It's uh, embarrassing for him um and also it's rough for me like you guys are coming off a banger show with with nate tice on here and like now i have to step back into those shoes after dj and then nate tice back to back and then i have to come back into this run that's that's brutal um thankfully kent is here to share the blame but uh thank you craig for for holding this down and getting better co-hosts while we were out
3: yep absolutely and that's gonna do it for me i'm gonna leave for a month now (laughs) i'll
1: see you guys later
3: craig you deserve to leave for a month buddy <laughs> you really buddy, do i will i will leave for a year not from the podcast i'll be on the podcast i'm just gonna, gonna disappear off the world for a little while
1: <laughs> you, you found a way to finally get the internet to the moon
3: Yes, I did. Definitely. It's actually Mars, since that's what you guys always say that
2: I do. It's, it, it's definitely Mars.
1: Okay, I was being realistic here. Come on now. <laughs> that's the
2: first time Craig's leaned into the Craig is great bit in a while. That's how dead-eyed inside I am Look, right now.
1: That's how you know that we just sat around talking for the past 45 minutes instead of starting before he finished the first <laughs> Old Fashioned. Like that's, that's what's happening now.
2: Look, we had a lot to catch up on. I mean... <laughs> We, me, me, and Craig and Tucker were spending some time after the show with Nate, uh, last earlier this week. And I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm pretty sure that we're destined to do that after this show, too. Well, unless Craig falls asleep because Craig is old, definitely, definitely could happen in the middle of the show, too.
3: If you guys throw to me and you don't hear anything, that's all that's happened. I'm okay, I'm just (laughs) napping.
2: We sure wellness check on Craig Stout. Uh, (laughs) Um, we do, uh, every year we do kind of. Uh, kind of game previews. We go game by game, week by week, and kind of look at the, you know, the teams that the Chiefs will be playing. We'll be doing that on Wednesdays this week or this, uh, this year, uh, for the remainder of, uh, of the offseason. Uh, we've got, you know, a couple game previews for each, uh, each week. And this week, we're just going to start with week one and two um you guys will kind of see how we do this as we get going but uh we'll start with week one the chiefs are traveling to the arizona cardinals sunday september 11th a 325 arrowhead kickoff and maddie i want or craig i want to know from you the, the quality of this roster I, no I'd, <laughs> I'd rather hear from
1: craig <laughs> i mean out. you know he he's, he's been friends, putting in the work look, while we've been gone i get it
2: you know friends with Derek johnson friends with nate Tice, like you know I'd rather hear from him. Uh the Arizona Cardinals. Uh the <laughs>
3: quality of this roster. No, I, when you, when I typically look at like a roster, I look at you know the key positions. You look at quarterback, left tackle, see where they have a receiver, see if they have cornerback, pass rusher. They check a few boxes there. They they really do, but it's largely the same group that we saw last year. You know, it's still going to be kyler murray at the helm you got dj humphrey you got a very good center and rodney hudson so a pretty good offensive line the weapons are very good aj green is there they traded for marquis or marquise brown they got rondale moore they've got deandre hopkins who is currently suspended for the first six games of the season so the offense should be pretty good with james connor at the helm the defense is where i have the questions though I mean, J.J. Watt is there, but they lose Chandler Jones. You've still got guys like Byron Murphy, Marco Wilson, guys that I personally like, but you're not looking at them as like lockdown corners on the outside. Buda Baker's a very good player. And then they got a couple linebackers and Isaiah Simmons and Z- Zaven Collins that they spent some high assets on and haven't really lived up to the hype. So I think the offense is going to be really good. I think the quality is there on that side of the ball. I just really wonder how this defense is going to come together, especially without Chandler Jones there.
1: And even for me, I think I still have a fair amount of questions for the offense. I mean, the offensive roster here, like there is definitely some talent, like they aren't an untalented offense, but Kelvin Beachum still kind of slated in to start at right tackle. Maybe Josh Jones here coming up after a couple of years in the league can finally like take that role from him. They had to go out and get Will Hernandez, but... Will Hernandez with the Giants never really caught on to that draft hype that he received coming out. Is he really an upgrade at that right tackle spot? Like it's just that right side of the offensive line is very worrisome. You know, Kyler Murray is very good, very good quarterback, but you can pressure him. You can easily force him into making mistakes. And when you have a right side of an offensive line, that can be as bad as what the Cardinals on paper could present any given week. That's not a winning formula. And then you jump to the other side and okay, the wide receiver core has some talent with Marquise Brown and Rondale Moore, even AJ green being a little bit older. And then once they get new Hopkins back, but they're so predictable and so limited in what all these guys can do. Like Hopkins is out, you know, where Marquise Brown's going to be. He's going to have to try to step into that Hopkins role essentially and play as you know, that left receiver every single time. And AJ green is going to play on the right side and they're only going to be able to fulfill specific roles in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. So, I don't know if they have enough versatile pieces that can do a little bit of everything that's going to work. This isn't Texas tech, right? Like we're going to get to the coaching staff in a second, but I don't know if this roster has the right players to fit into the scheme that Cliff Kingsbury keeps trying to make them play. And when you have problems at right tackle, when you have one trick pony wide receivers that don't fit into the roles you're putting them in, it gets a little dicey for a quarterback who thrives more, I guess would thrive more in structure then Kyler Murray being forced to do everything. I think that's what you see down the stretch. He has to do everything for this offense to work, and it really does start to weigh on him. So when he's not at his best, this offensive roster, they're just the talent, seems to really struggle to keep up with their opponents.
2: I look at this roster as a collection of talent more than a team, if that makes sense. Like It doesn't feel like, it's deep, like Steve Kimes always been just more of a talent collector. Then he has just a team builder and I just look at this roster and like there's some inconsistencies and maybe the types that you're looking at across the board. It just looks like he's just trying to fill holes with talent. That's not necessarily a bad thing because like I do think that there are some places that this team has some talent, but I don't know like it doesn't always feel like it makes perfect sense to me personally and I mean, you kind of you kind of speak into it. Some one trick ponies and some narrower skill sets and some errors, and it doesn't seem like they're always maximized. Speaking of not maximizing them, the coaching staff.
1: What's the quality of this coaching staff, Maddie? Not good. Um, <laughs> like as a, I, I enjoyed Cliff Kingsbury. I thought maybe there was a chance that he would work in the NFL. It's just been kind of a disaster. Like it's been really bad. And then he got an extension. I. I There were rumors around that he was going to be let go. There were rumors around that he was done, that he was out there. And I don't think that would have been wrong. Like, I think you can very easily make the case that he had this team underperforming, especially down the stretch of every year. And then he gets this extension and you have a guy that is clearly trying to implement air raid systems, air raid concepts into the NFL. And I get it. That's what he was hired for. So why not? Like, that's what he needs to do to be special, to be himself. But It's not working, and he's not really tried to do anything. He hasn't tried to evolve his offense a single bit since (laughs) that Texas Tech offense. And he assumes, like, it seems like the Cardinals' approach to this is just to go get more talented players. Like Kent said, he's just collecting guys to go put into his same offense. Like, oh, okay, if I get enough talented players to put into my offense, it'll work the problem isn't necessarily the talent always it's the coaching staff is it's Cliff Kingsbury struggles mightily to maximize these guys it's the reason the offense only looks good when Kyler Murray's playing out of his mind and like that's that's on Cliff Kingsbury that's off Sean Kugler. like that's anybody involved with this offensive coaching staff if they can't get some of these guys into good looks for their skill set that aren't just Hey, go run a shallow cross and hopefully you're wide open because it's the air raid. Like, w- what are we doing here with this? Like, I, I don't know where they're going with this coaching staff. They should have gutted it this last year.
3: I mean, yeah, definitely. Nate, Nate Tice even mentioned it on, on the podcast we did on Monday night. He was talking just briefly about the Cardinals and mentioned that, man, they're just so predictable. Like this guy lines up to this side, this guy lines up to this side, they're going to run these similar routes. Like, NFL teams adjust to it by week four, it seems like. And then all of a sudden, things just start to go south for him. But on the defensive side of the ball, I like Vance Joseph. I think he's a good defensive coordinator. I, I think that he's probably going to maximize these guys. He's done a hell of a job with the secondary, they've invested. Whole bunch of young guys in there. They got a lot out of Marco Wilson last year. Byron Murphy, a guy that we've loved, and he's really played well. Like they started with him early in his career and built him up pretty quickly. He's played well. I think Vance Joseph is an excellent defensive coordinator. I just worry where the pass rush is going to come from because right now it's JJ Watt. And a bunch of guys like they've got a couple plate pieces here and there that I do like Zach Allen's fine player like he Kiki Kingsley, Devon Kennard, and then a bunch of young guys. So I, I think that there's a lot of question marks at pass rusher. It's going to be a test for Vance Joseph to try and create pressure with this group, with an aging JJ Watt, with the group of guys that he has with him. I think he can do it, but there's just a lot of question marks with both them and the second level and how Vance has used them but once again i probably said something similar last year and he did a pretty damn good job getting those guys together and on the field by and large on the season
2: Vance joseph definitely helped himself i think for the for the long term of his career last year and if he continues to build on that and yeah i mean they've got some intriguing pieces and parts there you know some of the younger guys they, they threw a lot of numbers at pass rusher the the guys they threw at it is just all over the place it <laughs> when it really comes is. to the young guys. Hey, let's get Cam Thomas and also Majai Sanders. Like you know, Cam Thomas and can- Jesse Lucada. I mean, Lucana. Yeah. yeah.
1: But like, I and just I think like- they're all going to play the same position.
2: Yeah, it's just it's I don't know. It's just it's an interesting it's an interesting choice. I don't really like Steve Kime. I'll say it. I, well, yeah, he's he don't he's
1: one of the worst.
2: He's just, he's not good uh, <laughs> at his job. I don't know. I, I, talk about extensions. I don't get that. Um, yeah, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see that staff and future quarterback coach, Cl- Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, she's quarterback. Coach.
1: The, just That's the whole cool coaching team. staff is the same. It's been the same for the last two years. It's the same th- three years. Maybe it's the going to be the same this year. Like what? There's nothing that you've seen from the coaching side. The Vance Joseph has been really good. I think that like Vance Joseph, what he's done as a defensive coordinator, is absolutely something, like you guys said, that he's helped himself a lot in this situation with what he's done. But offensively, there's nothing about this coaching staff that's been redeeming. None of these guys are going to be able to move laterally to their next job. Not a single offensive coach is making a lateral move in their next job from this coaching staff because it's just been a disaster top to bottom every single year, and they've shown no growth. It's, it's amazing to me that they are going into another year with the exact same coaching staff, and the only thing they've done is, ah, our wide receiver talent is the problem. We'll just replace Christian Kirk because he was the problem with Marquise Brown and call it a day. All right. It's
2: uh, new addition to this roster, Craig. There's not many.
3: There's not, but I I mean, I'm going to take the low hanging fruit here with Marquise Brown coming over, you know, playing in that Baltimore Ravens offense. He got a lot of targets like don't get me wrong for as much as we clown on the Ravens as you know, not caring about wide receivers by and large. You know, he did get a lot of targets. He was a focal point off of their play action game and things like that. They're going to need him to step up and be. You know, that kind of missing presence, especially without DeAndre Hopkins for the first few games of the year, he's going to need to be not just a deep threat, but a guy that can take the ball on some of these spread looks like Matty was saying, you got some of these drags and things like that across the field, hit some of these air raid concepts and be able to convert that, be able to turn on the jets, get some yak. We talked a lot about Mark Marquise Brown and McCole Hardman, and kind of the comparison and their numbers and how very similar of players that they have been. Granted, one of them's in a different offense than the other one and you know, guys in front of them and yada, yada, yada. But he's going to get an opportunity in the first six games of the season to be the star when Cliff Kingsbury is at his best. When he's coming out of the gate firing and teams have not been able to adjust to what he's doing yet, that's when we're going to get to see the possibly the best version of Marquise Brown yet in his career. So if he comes out flat, I think that offense could be in a lot of trouble because they're not going to have another reliable guy that has been proven in that Cliff Kingsbury offense and can do some of the things that some of those topper end receivers have done in the past.
1: I'm going to stick to a a similar position. I'm going to go with their first draft pick from this 2022 draft uh, class and go with Trey McBride, tight end out of Colorado State. We just spent, specifically me, spent a lot of time dunking on this offensive coaching staff and how bad they've been. They went out and spent their first draft pick on adding a second tight end. Somebody to pair with Zach Ertz, who – isn't my favorite tight end in the NFL, but he's a good tight end. He's a qual. he's a starting level, a good starting tight end in the NFL still, especially as a receiver for that system. He makes a lot of sense in Cliff Kingsbury's system. Are they going to be able to use Trey McBride and him together? Is this coaching staff finally going to show some level of adjustment and development in the NFL landscape? And all of a sudden use these two guys at the same time and figure out how to make, you know, 12 personnel happen and what they can do from that. Or are they legitimately just going to look at him and use him as the heir apparent to Zach Ertz? They're rarely going to play together. They're mostly going to play one or the other and fulfill the same role, be utilized in the same way. Like I think Zach, or not Zach Ertz, but uh, Trey McBride is going to show you the where this coaching staff sees them going, what kind of development they may have, and he could have a great year for them. I think that they could do some fun stuff. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury's dumb. He could do some really fun stuff if he adjusts his offensive game plan and goes out and allows you know Trey McBride and Ertz and Marquise Brown and A.J. Green and Rondale Moore and New Hopkins when he's healthy all get on the field and do things they're good at together. It's just I don't trust him to put those guys in that situation right now, so I'm interested to see if they prove me wrong and do that, and I think that McBride really could be kind of the cornerstone of that concept.
2: Uh, give me Majai Sanders, uh, the third-round pick. From uh Cincinnati, it's the guy that we were all really interested in. He's kind of just had a very fascinating arc to this point. I mean, some people thought we thought he had some round but round one sizzle heading into this year. Uh, he's struggled fluctuating with his weight. I mean, he was down to like 220 at one point. Um, so it's just kind of been a really interesting process for him. But when he's on the field, he's a little fluid. Uh, a flexible pass rusher, a little bit of juice off the edge. Obviously, I think you're going to have some question marks about his density and if he's going to be able to hold weight. But I think you see some of the national pass pass rush moves actually held up okay against the run for being a little bit undersized at two, a little bit better at the point of attack than people give him credit for, I think. But, I mean, he's an intriguing swing on talent. Yet another guy that this team, you know, Steve Kime just slaps, you know, players together and sees what happens. Uh, and this is a worthy swing, I think, on some interesting talent. Players to watch for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I'm actually going to go. I'm going. I don't want to go with Kyler Murray
1: to start. <laughs> no, do it. Quarterback guy going quarterback. Do it. Do can we, it. Can we do it? Can we do, do it. it? Just can we? Just, this, one? this is your choice. Like if you want to take the coward's way out, do it. I want to do. I.
2: The whole Kyler Murray arc is interesting to me because like, the reason Marquise Brown is in Arizona is because Kyler Murray's Murray's pulling that lever to try to get Mm -hmm. him to be there. And this is obviously like a massive year. I think Kyler Murray wanted to try to get paid early. I understand why the Cardinals didn't want to pay him right off the top, um, even though I think he's a great player and he's had some really, really high-level moments. There's been a little bit of inconsistencies at times. He's trying to do too much, and he's had his injury issues but i think this is a huge i mean this is the biggest year of his career very obviously and it's a big test for him this is a massive test for him against uh, a new chiefs defense but i trying to go toe to toe with patrick mahomes and i am fascinated by just the kyler murray experience and i'm kind of excited to see you know the first iteration of that week 1 especially without new Hopkins, without that safety blanket there too i'm really interested to see what 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 kyler murray looks like uh, in in this crucial year for him, and it's a little bit of a disadvantage. But at the same time, early season Kyler's the best Kyler too. Like there's just so many forces working against each other right now. That's why he's my player to watch.
3: My player to watch is a former chief. That's right, Ben Neiman. Every button now. I'm not Ben Neiman, but it is a former chief. It's Daryl Williams. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals in 2021 ran the ball the seventh most in the NFL. Uh, they had they had Chase Edmonds there last year. They have James Conner being their primary back this year. James Conner, this season, or last season, was the most games that he had played in his career. He played 15 games. He only started six, touched the ball plenty at a 3.7-yard average. Darryl Williams is now going to be that backup. Darryl Williams has a chance to really get the lion's share of some of this stuff. I know Eno Benjamin's there. I know they drafted a couple of young guys as well. But Darrell Williams has a chance to not only be just like a third down back, like he was a little bit with the Chiefs last year, but really cut into some of that. So it's going to be an opportunity for a former Chief that we've seen shine in some limited moments for the Chiefs to go to a different team that's going to give volume rushing attack, not, not just in Kansas city where you're going to get some rushing attempts. There are going to be certain looks that you're going to run there. They're going to run the ball plenty in Arizona. And there's a good chance with James Connors history and how he stayed healthy in his career and the sort of workload that he has been put on him in recent history, that Darrell Williams could out snap and out, you know, carry James Connor there. And so that's a very intriguing prospect for a guy that I think we all like, we all like Daryl the barrel. So I'm very curious to see, cause if he can go there and be effective, that might be their most underrated signing of the off season.
1: So when you said former chiefs, I thought you were going to talk about starting cornerback, Antonio Hamilton for no. the Arizona Cardinals, for Rodney uh, Hudson. Yeah. They have a handful of, uh, ex chiefs there. No. I'm no, I'm going with, uh, linebacker Zavin Collins. Um, mm. And the reason he's my player to watch, he played tw- first round draft pick and he played 20% of their defensive snaps last year. They legitimately could not get him on the field because he was too soft. I mean, I'm sorry. He was not up to speed enough to play. No, You're right. You're right. <laughs> he's too soft to play the NFL game, especially next to Isaiah Simmons. Who's a very athletic guy who's getting better and better. I don't think he's ever lived up to his draft, you know, uh, where he was drafted or some of the hype but he's improving Savin Collins to play next to him needed to be more physical he needed to understand the game better he couldn't get on the field last year is that going to change this year I mean there were times last year in the late later part of last season where he was a special teams only player I mean he saw zero snaps on the defensive side of the ball zero snaps for this defense last year What's he look like in year two? Is Zayvon Collins going to maximize that size, speed, athletic profile? Is he going to get into that Hassan Reddick type role where they just start rushing him a little bit because that was a conversation when he was coming out of college at Tulsa? I'm just curious as to what he does going forward. I don't know if Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons can live together in a defense. I think that's two far too soft linebackers playing on the interior of this defense with the defensive line that is not built like monsters to eat every double team that exists but we'll see and for that reason he's the guy i kind of want to keep my eye on is this a player that's going to make a huge sophomore step or is he a guy that's maybe the draft community overhyped a little bit and the cardinals kind of bought into the athletic profile and some of the highs that some people may have not seen coming out of tulsa
2: steve Kime is a talent collector <laughs> <laughs> how does this team beat the chiefs maddie
1: This is a tricky one. I don't see a very good path for them beating the Chiefs. I think it's a pretty bad matchup. I think it's one of the few matchups where I don't think the Chiefs' lack of defensive line prowess will be really exposed, right? I could still see the Chiefs' blitz packages. I could still see Chris Jones, the good players, the things that we know work for the Chiefs' defense. I could still see that having success against this team. But if the Cardinals are to do it, it's going to be in a shootout. It's going to be week one, Kyler Murray, week one, Cliff Kingsbury, taking advantage of a pretty much new defense, beating these guys that are a little, you know, still trying to get on the same page, guys that are all new to the system, putting it all together early in the season like they're known to do and the Chiefs just quite simply fall a little bit short on the on the offensive side of the ball as that side of the ball as Patrick Mahomes and all these new weapons try to get themselves on the same page it's like it would have to be a high scoring game that i almost feel like the cardinals would have to have the ball last to even really have a chance to beat the chiefs
2: what do you guys think the line is on this game i i know it guess Oh,
3: do you? Oh mm-hmm. uh, it's in Arizona. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say three and a half for the Chiefs.
1: Okay. I'll go higher than that. I would say five and a half for the Chiefs. It's three. Okay. Well, okay. I'm, a, I'm a little bit surprised by that too, for honestly. Those of you that live in Kansas, <laughs> <laughs> head on down Maybe. the street.
3: Oh,
2: it's time.
1: <laughs> Not quite yet. <laughs> We're good. We're close. We're close. We're close. Uh,
2: but yeah, it was it was, uh, it was it was the Chiefs minus three. Um, oh. I, honestly, I think it's just I think I think it's going to fall on the Chiefs defense. If the Chiefs defense hasn't been isn't able to kind of put together enough of a game plan, enough consistency in their game plan week one with all these young guys and this influx of talent. I think that's you know, that, that's really the only only way that this doesn't go well for the chiefs in week one, honestly, it's just, it's going to fall on that defense and that young defense getting together quick. Um, it's a, it's a big test in in some ways. It's a bit, I mean, the offense is a little predictable, but there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Jimmy's and Joe's on that, on that that collect on that collection of talent. And I think that's going to be a very difficult challenge for this chiefs defense with all the kind of guys that they're going to get to have to play. So I just think it's a matter of if the young guys, you know, make some big mistakes uh, that could really cost the Chiefs in this game and force it to become a shootout. And then, yeah, maybe it's a whoever has the ball last kind of situation.
1: You'll have to yeah. forgive me if we mentioned this earlier. It's been a while since I've been on a podcast. The Cardinals lost Chandler Jones, though, right? Like, I don't know yes. if that came up. That's a big part of their defense. Like, this Cardinals defense has definitely mm-hmm. overshot their talent collection level. And how much of that do we think was Chandler Jones? Like, is this defense going to be anywhere near as good as it was last year without him? Have they done enough to replace him for this defense to be even what they were last year to present a problem to an offense that should be as good as the chiefs?
3: I mean, I will say this. I think the way that this happens is that nothing goes the chiefs way. And it's very clear that things did not go well during the offseason. And Uh, With that coming out of my mouth, I don't think that there's any chance in hell that that happens. Andy Reid is one of the most prepared coaches and has his team the most prepared of arguably any team in the league coming out of training camp. It's why he works them so hard. It's why they're so effective at the start of every single season. So, I mean, like, I I don't think that there's a chance. And the only chance I think it was going to have is DeAndre Hopkins going for, you know, 250 on these corners, on these young corners. Trent McDuffie getting a baptism from DeAndre Hopkins or something like that, and that's not going to happen. So with that being said, I just don't think they have enough of the firepower. I don't think they have enough defense, even with Vance Joseph, over there to really hang with the Chiefs. So I I do think this is one of the matchups that is going to go the Chiefs' way because I, I think that they're just going to be the better prepared team, even with all those new pieces on both sides of the ball.
2: All right, so we're gonna ask the question: Who is the Chiefs' non-Mahomes MVP of this game? You you want to, you want to hear an MVP? MVS. I'm gonna go with Marquez Valdez Scantling. Look, this is a smaller secondary. You're talking about you know matchup wise. Um, I, I could see Marquez Valdez Scantling announcing his presence at the authority in Kansas City, winning at the catch point, uh, over some smaller slider cornerbacks. Uh, like Bayron Murphy uh, running over or, you know, jumping over some safeties, some smaller slider safeties like Jalen Thompson. So uh, give me Marcus Valdez-Scantling down the field, big explosive play, uh, length, size, explosiveness, uh, long touchdown for Marcus Valdez-Scantling in week one.
3: Maddie already said who it's going to be. It's going to be Chris Jones. I-, I think Chris Jones has a chance to just absolutely wreck the interior of this offensive line. It's it's a decent interior, don't get me wrong. I just think that we are going to see him know that he's got to play up to a certain standard. You know, where there's a lot of talk about this defensive line. Where's the pass rush gonna come from? He even admitted last year that the defensive end stuff did not go well, like <laughs> he straight up said that in his presser this past week. So I think he too is excited to be back on the inside where he finished the season last year, wants to have a full season at defensive tackle, at his defensive tackle, weight, play style, strength, all of those things, you know, not trying to be at defensive end and play a little bit lighter and then switch mid-season. He's going to get to play there all season long. We know what a force he can be. I think he's going to start the season very, very hot against the Cardinals.
1: I mean, Kent kind of touched on it here. We've been talking about all the Chiefs' new wide receiver options. All these guys they can go out there and help Patrick Mahomes and this offense maintain the same level of offense that they've had in years past, because that's where this team's been built. But it's still going to be Travis Kelsey is going <laughs> to be this team's MVP. Uh, that's the non-Mahomes version. Um, even more so now that Tyree Kill's not here. There's no. I think Nate Tice kind of nailed it when you guys had him on. There's no longer a 1A and a 1B in the Chiefs receiving court. There's not, there's not one at all. It's a very clear one. His name is Travis Kelsey and nobody talks about what this means for him. Everybody's focused on how the chiefs replace Tyree kill with these new receivers and what these new receivers are going to do. And I think it's kind of gone by the wayside that, well, yeah, but now when the chiefs need a go-to play or when the chiefs are drawing up a play for a specific person, it's not sometimes Hill and sometimes Kelsey, it's always Kelsey. Kelsey is the guy that you're drawing up the must have plays for that matters. And, I would argue that he's always been that guy. Tyreek Hill's been more explosive, but I've argued numerous times that Travis Kelsey's been more important. I think that's going to be more clear than ever this year. So he's very obviously the non-Mahomes MVP of this game and every game. I
2: <laughs> The bit returns. And we'll return right after this.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, we're
2: continuing our game previews for the 2022 season. We go uh, two different opponents every single week, every Wednesday leading up to the season. And now we are going to week two. It's a tight turnaround for the Chiefs. They host the Los Angeles Chargers on Thursday night football, September 15th. I love, absolutely love that the Chiefs are getting the Thursday night football game out of the way early. I cannot tell you how much I love that. I think it's great because uh, Thursday night football is a giant. Now, do
1: you? I feel like players hockey. like having it later because it creates a miniature buy.
2: I think players hate playing on Thursdays too. And in I think general, it's It to be the easiest <laughs> time to okay. play on a Thursday. In okay. Tell me the quality of the Chargers roster, Craig. Oh, it's terrible.
3: Everybody says it's terrible. Everybody knows how terrible. No, it's one of the best rosters on paper that exists in the NFL. It really is. Like they got elite quarterback. They have good weapons on that side of the ball. They've got a defense that is very good that I think we all knew last year that it was going to take a little bit for it to gel together, especially transitioning into the way that it needed to. We'll get to that with the coaching staff in a little bit, but then they just go out and they add a one B pass rusher in Khalil Mack. They add a true number one corner in JC Jackson. They still got all these safeties and corners that we all love. Like the defense is great on paper. The offense is exceptional on paper, especially with Justin Herbert over there. I mean, it's uh, there's not much more to say other than it's a damn fine roster that they build over there in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, I, on paper, this is one of the best rosters in the NFL. I mean, you really struggle to poke holes in it. Like, okay, let's put our nerd glasses on here real quick and be like, talk about Storm Norton playing right tackle. And, okay, that's about all I got. Like, where are we putting other holes? Like, ah, their linebacker position isn't great because Kenneth Murray was really, really bad last year. And, okay, I pointed out a right tackle and an inside linebacker. And, yay, like this this is a very good roster. They didn't lose too many guys. They brought in guys to fill weaknesses. Like, it's hard to come across a roster that looks much better than this on paper heading into a season. They kind of went out, saw their weaknesses, added guys to those spots. They already had a strong roster as is. So, like, I was surprised they didn't go get a better right tackle. I am surprised they're coming into this year With Storm Norton, that's very clearly their biggest weakness. You anticipate a guy like Kenneth Murray or Drew Tranquil, who are still relatively young linebackers, to maybe get better. And it's also a linebacker position. And we'll talk about the coaching staff. Those guys, you know, inside linebackers are like a dime a dozen to this particular coaching tree and how they use them. So, like, who cares? Like, their one hole is at right tackle. They didn't address that. That was surprising. But every other position is filled with a quality or plus player. It, I get why people pick them to win the AFC West. I wholeheartedly understand why people pick them to win because one, they did beat the Chiefs last year and the second game went to overtime. But two, this is a darn good football team. Again, on paper.
2: Always on paper with them. And yes, they mm-hmm. deserve all the credit that they get because they've put together, like you guys have said, a fantastic roster. I'm most I'm not going to get into names because I'm sure some of these names we'll be discussing here a little bit, but I love what they did in the secondary. To continue to bolster that secondary, especially homes twice a year, uh, I think that's a you know the the, the run D versus coverage conversation. They loaded up on a lot of coverage players on the back end of that defense, and it's fantastic. Uh, all right, quality of the staff. Um, you know, I, I think this is a really, I it's a good staff. I think. The, the the Brandon Staley experiment's been fascinating because everybody's talking about when he goes for it on fourth down, all that stuff, and like, but like, I think I think he did a really solid job in 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 his first season. I think you know he kind of ran out of steam a little bit as the season went on, and that's going to be something to watch as this, as this whole thing goes right because, um, you know, it, there were there were lapses in decision making at times like the aggressiveness was a little bit too aggressive. The calibrations were a little bit off. Like even if you're, it's not Brandon day is not even necessarily like analytically driven when he makes his fourth down decisions. He knows that he should do it more than some other people, but it's still not always like a by the book kind of thing with him. And so um, I, I, I think he did a very good job. I actually had more, I had let lower expectations for Joe Lombardi as offensive coordinator. And I actually think they, I think he put together a pretty strong and solid offense. I think, you know, a a little bit too times they still rely on some just outside numbers, Jimmy's and Joe's throws like they're just going to kind of throw the ball up a little bit on the outside a little bit more. But I think largely, I think I think he did an outstanding job uh, with Justin Herbert and they saw the results. I mean, uh,
3: the The place where I'm really curious about is to see where they rebound on defense with Ronaldo Hill. I, we had a lot of questions about what he was going to bring to the table last year when we did this. So like, you know, he was a defensive backs coach in Denver and now he's moving over here to try and run the sort of offense that or the defense that they wanted him to. And it was not great. You know, it very clearly had some square pegs and some round holes Very clearly didn't have the full personnel they wanted. And they kind of got a pass because of that. You know, you knew what they wanted to do. They weren't able to remake it in one offseason. So what can he do in year two? Like, are you going to see that turnaround? He's been given all of the bodies in the world to make the shift, to make these changes that they expect to be able to make to contend at the top both on offense and on defense if he turns around and they lay another stinker they're gonna lay it all almost all of it at his feet like so this is kind of a make or break year for him and I'm very curious how that's gonna go how tolerant everybody's going to be with all of that and to kind of see the way that he's able to call the defense and call it appropriately to contend with a very high powered AFC West that they're going to be playing in for six of the seventeen games that they're playing next year.
1: i I think the coaching staff, like the offensive and defensive coordinators have done about as good as they can do with the personnel that they've had, right. Like I think to Craig's point, the defense struggled to play the way that Brandon Staley wanted them to play because they didn't have the right pieces. But then you go look at what they've done. They've added the right kind of guys. Like If it struggles again this year, like if they struggle again defensively to play the way they want to now, they've added these pieces, then okay. Then it's time to have a serious conversation about is it Staley's defense a little, as a defensive mind, a little overrated? Or is it Ronaldo Hill's issue? Like who's at, who's the blame for this? I think you'll see a little bit of an uptick in what they were going for here, especially with some of the other talent that they've added And then offensively, Joe Lombardi, again, I get that there is a little bit of a, hey, we have better players than you, so we're just going to give them a chance. But also, that's coaching to your team. When you have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and a Josh Palmer and a Justin Herbert, coach to that advantage. Like You don't always have to get those guys wide open based on your scheme. You can let them win from time to time. That's completely okay. I think their coordinators actually have done a fantastic job coaching to the what they have, using what they have. We just talked about before this, the Cardinals not doing that great on offense. I feel like the Chargers offense did that really well. Lombardi's offensive style, there was a slow period where they forced Justin Herbert to bail them out every third and long for like a good six weeks. But then they flipped the page and all of a sudden now you have this vertical passing attack that's a little bit slower, it's pretty traditional and it allows Justin Herbert to just get back there and rocket the ball wherever he wants to And it works really well. You're not acting asking him to always process things super quickly because he's very good at doing it when he has time, when he's not rushed, when he's not flustered. Joe Lombardi's done a great job of giving them that. The weak point of their coaching staff is Brandon Staley's game management. As funny as that is, he's like every analytic department or analytic fans is like choir boy. He costs them games. Like, I, there's no way around it. I get that it's playing the odds. You're never saying when you say, oh, you should go for it here on fourth down, that you're going to get it. It's all about playing the odds. But his decisions to go different or against what a lot of football guys would go for cost them games at times. And again, it just doesn't seem like he always has a good beat on the game on when to put his foot on the gas. When to pull it off? When to make this change or that change? I feel like his game management as a head coach, his fuel for being a team manager, has been was pretty poor last year. And if that continues, that might cost him a few close games down the stretch again.
2: It well, and it wasn't always like it was analytically driven plenty of times, but it wasn't always the most it wasn't always the most analytically correct move. That's what's so interesting about about, about Stanley. Uh New addition, Maddie.
1: There's like 800 of them. Um I'm going to I'll leave some of the low hanging ones. I'm actually going to go with an injury. I'm going to go with Gerald Everett at tight end. And the reason is Jared Cook wasn't great for them last year. They get around 500 receiving yards, but I feel like he was kind of a he was the second go-to target on third downs. I would have to really dig into the stats, mm-hmm. but I I just going to go out on a limb and say that he had a lot of third down catches. I'm just guessing just based purely on what I saw. He was a guy that they relied on though on third downs. Like he was a player that was often targeted by Justin Herbert on third downs, that big body target that you can rifle a ball into had sure hands that tight end position is often considered a quarterback safety blanket We're looking at an offensive coordinator that operates from a traditional system that uses his tight ends like that. Gerald Everett, that's never been his game in the NFL. He's never been a safety blanket type of tight end. Can he provide that? Can he mimic Jared Cook's success for the chargers or will that step back in that style of tight end show up on these third down conversions and some of these situations? I don't know. So I think it's fascinating to see how he fits into this offense. He's clearly a more dynamic and versatile player. But can he fulfill the shoes that they need him to in the right situations? I'm not sure.
2: Uh, I, fine. I'll take the low hanging fruit. Uh, I, I, for me, it's Cleo, it's Mac, and like there, there's plenty of there's plenty of additions. But the one I'm most interested in is Cleo Mac because, yeah, the the the, the Chargers paid a, a pretty penny to acquire him. They they used a lot of draft capital, and he still got a you know a, a decent sized contract. He wasn't as he wasn't the same you know he wasn't as good as he's been necessarily in the past last year. But you're talking about putting him across from Joey Bosa, like the the version of Khalil Mack you saw even last year, uh, is going to do just fine across uh, across from Nick Bosa. Did I say jo- did I say Joey, or Joey Bosa? Yeah, Joey. Joey. Yeah. yeah, whatever. What the, the Bosa? I I I think it's going to be. I think it's going to go really well, and that's I am terrified because that's problematic for the Chiefs. Khalil Mack still has plenty left in the tank. And I think they can be a little bit more situational with him. They're not going to have to lean on him necessarily as much as maybe the Bears might have had to. And so I really like the Khalil Mack addition. I'm going with Sebastian Joseph Day. Um, Everybody kind of was looking
3: at this defensive line and saying, you know, well, they got to have somebody on the interior. You got to find somebody on the interior. And Jordan Davis was the logical guy to kind of throw in there. Sebastian Joseph Day offered them the opportunity to not have to go with Jordan Davis or not trade up for Jordan Davis. So he's going to occupy the middle of the field. He's a very good run defender. He's been very good as a run defender for Los Angeles, for the Rams. So he gets to translate into a very similar scheme when you are playing as much too high, when you are playing the style of defense that Fangio, Staley, all these guys want to play you're not necessarily going to have advantageous numbers against the run. A player like Sebastian Joseph Day that can play on every down and clog up the middle of the field against the run and help you kind of recoup some of those numbers against the run and clog some more gaps... Is invaluable, it is one of the most important things that you can do. So I think that's a very underrated signing. I think if he plays well, that's going to alter their defense immensely because now all of a sudden they're going to be able to stop the run. We know what they've got in the secondary, we know what they've got as a pass rushers. There, those aren't the question marks there. If the question mark is Is a team going to be able to line up and just run the ball against their too high defense a lot, you know, all game long, try and keep Justin Herbert on the sideline. If Sebastian Joseph Day can play well in the middle of the field there, now all of a sudden they can't do that. And that's going to just immeasurably alter how teams play the Chargers.
2: All right, player to watch time. I'm gonna go with Mike Williams, the wide receiver. Uh, he is back with the Chargers and he abused the Chiefs the first time that these two teams played the last time. And this is a guy that is problematic for you know, for shorter, smaller cornerbacks. Uh, Trent McDuffie. Uh, you know that this it's Trent McDuffie's nightmare. <laughs> Welcome to the NFL kid. Mike Williams, I think, you know, he, he, like he abused Mike cues. If I remember last year a little bit, he's a guy that just, he's dominant at the catch point. He is just a matchup issue for this football team, for this team. Uh, I, I'm scared of him. I think, especially since Justin Herbert has continued to show a propensity and willingness to challenge uh, and give him those opportunities. So that might, that is my guy, Mike Williams, wide receiver. My guy is more of a fun one, just to see a a
3: growth because he set the bar so high in his rookie year. I want to see what Rayshon Slater does in year two. Like if if he Good continues, Lord. big to
1: challenge grow, versus the Chiefs oh, on a Thursday night.
3: I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, listen, we don't know. Maybe, maybe Frank's going to give him the business. We, we don't know, but um, listen, I know. Carl Loftus is coming. Carl Loftus is coming. Now, uh, Rayshon Slater had an awesome. Rookie year as a left tackle. What I vaulted himself into the top 10 left tackle conversation immediately. Year one, if he puts together a better year than he did last year, this is a problem. This is a serious problem, and one that is going to alter the way that the Chiefs need to build their defense. Like all of a sudden, it's one of those is like, okay. You have to find an elite pass rusher and immediately because there's an elite left tackle over there that can shut guys down. You got to get some wins against that guy every once in a while. So if he takes that step forward as you know, as a Chiefs fan, I hate it. But as a football fan, just to see what, you know, elite left tackle play looks like, I, I am very interested to watch what his career arc has.
1: I'm going with uh, Justin Herbert. You may have heard of him. He plays quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers. He's getting treatment as, you know, entering this Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers tier, I think is where the clear top three quarterbacks are in the NFL right now. You're getting some push, a lot of push to put Justin Herbert there. I think that's because everybody adores the Chargers in general, for whatever reason, they just adore the team. They have for three decades now. Um, And he's getting that push. And I don't know if it's not deserved. I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm just intrigued to see what year three looks like. I think kind of year three of Patrick Mahomes getting a lot of play time is where some teams really started to throw caution into the wind and try to adjust what they were doing to stop him. And I think it showed up from time to time. There was other circumstances, but I think that's when you started to see him start to face some issues. Josh Allen was improving, improving, improving to start last year. There were some times where teams literally changed up everything they did. They broke all their rules to try to slow him down and it showed up in some of his games is Justin Herbert going to run into that wall this year? Are there going to be teams that are able to get him based on the old cliche of having enough film, which it's less of having enough film and more of just, okay, this guy's good enough that we have to break our own rules to beat him. Well, how does Herbert approach that how does he overcome that because i still think he's a little robotic as good as he is i still think he plays a little robotic and a little bit tight at times so can he get by that when it starts to happen so i think watching him this year is going to be fascinating to see how he handles that when teams start to get a good beat on how to slow him down what works against him especially when they start doing things against the book
2: there's definitely some rigidity to him he just out talents and just fits balls in places even though he's rigid sometimes it's amazing it's it's frankly amazing how does this team beat the chiefs well honestly i think this is a team extremely well equipped to be the beat the chiefs i think there's a lot of different ways that the the chiefs can be beat that's just the reality of the, the chargers are a legitimate contender for the afc west uh and they're a legitimate contender you know in in the afc and i think you know you could you could drop a lot of different ways if you're if you're being honest, Justin Herbert has the ability to go toe to toe with Mahomes. He's done it. Um, you know, if if the if the Chargers learn to finish games a little bit better, if they if they if they finish that game, there's a they're going to be right in it, and that's the chase. That that was one of the things that this team just like a little bit of situational football. If Brandon Staley doesn't shoot him in the leg, uh, if uh, you know if Justin if Herbert avoids any critical mistakes down the stretch, that's that might be enough to beat this team. Uh, so I, 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 I I think they can, I think they, I'm curious what the line's going to be.
3: Yeah, no, very curious. I mean, I think the way that the chargers beat the chiefs is to play them in week two with this roster. I mean, I I really do. I think this is one, as much as I talked about how Andy Reid's going to have this team prepared. I think that this group of players, like. Andy's going to still have some of the stuff on the shelf because it's a week 2 matchup like he's not going to unveil everything that's there. Yes, it's a division rival, but I think he feels like he can get it back later in the season and especially on a short week. I think that you're going to see a lot of basic concepts. I don't think you're going to see him getting in the bag as much and with this group of guys and with this all these new players I think there's going to be some semblance of an adjustment period. So I just don't think that it lines up particularly well with this week two matchup for it to go the Chiefs direction. Now, there's still Patrick Mahomes. There's still Travis Kelsey. There are still difference makers. The Chiefs will be in this game. I'm not saying it's going to be a runaway for the Chargers or anything like that, but I do think. The fact that the Chargers have returned so many people, that offense is going to be humming. I think you see the guys that are coming in on defense are largely familiar with what Brandon Staley is doing. I don't think that integration period is going to be as great as some of these other teams that have added so many players on defense. I think they got a chance to start ridiculously hot, but – We know that they'll falter at times, and maybe this is one of those that they will falter again because they always do. I just think that it's a bad time with all the changes and everything on a short week to be playing the Chiefs.
1: Uh, Be pretty clear. I think if every player on the field plays at their expected level, just entirely at their expected level, no better, no worse, I think the Chargers win, and I think it's a comfortable win. I think they have a better roster. Than the Chiefs do. If everybody goes out there and gives an A-minus game, their A minus game for their particular player, I think the Chargers win and they win comfortably. So if they go out there, they play mistake-free football. Brandon Staley doesn't throw away points going for it on a lot of fourth downs. Justin Herbert doesn't, you know, get rattled by something Steve Spagnolo throws at him. The defense doesn't have massive, you know, breakdowns and coverage or calls or anything like that. They have a really, really, really good chance to win, even if the Chiefs play equally as flawless football in terms of mental errors. I just think that from top to bottom, from 1 to 53, they probably have more talent. They don't have a lot of holes, and their team really does complement each other really well. This isn't a collection of talented guys. This is a well-built team of talented guys. So this this is a tough game. This is a really tough game off the bat. And I don't see how the Chargers probably aren't favored going into this. Get into this one.
2: Counterpoint, Mahomes. Uh, speaking of Mahomes, who's the Chiefs' non-Mahomes MVP, Craig? I'm going with Orlando Brown Jr. <laughs> because he's gonna be seeing Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack.
3: If the Chiefs turn around and win this game and they play ridiculously well on offense, that means that Patrick Mahomes is going to be largely clean and he's going to stay upright. And if that happens, that means Orlando Brown Jr. has done his job. This is a a contract year. Or maybe he's already signed the contract by the time that they these two teams would be playing whatever the case may be, this is his chance to show that either he deserves the new contract or he's earning his new contract because he's going to see, it doesn't matter which guy it is. There is an elite player that's going to line up opposite him and try and get after Patrick Mahomes. If he can keep Patrick Mahomes upright, not give up too many pressures, he's the MVP, hands down. He's the MVP.
1: 10 receptions, 191 yards Two touchdowns, including a walk-off. That's what it took from Travis Kelsey to beat the Chargers the last time these two teams faced. That's what will have to happen again for the Chiefs to dispatch the Chargers, thus making Travis Kelsey the non-Patrick Mahomes MVP again. The Chiefs kind of figured out how they can use him, how they can utilize him against this Chargers defense. Yes, Derwin James got hurt. He left that game early, and that did help not cause, but helped the Travis Kelsey explosion in terms of his stats after he went out. But like, just, I think that he's going to play a key part. I think the Chiefs did kind of figure out a little something on how to attack this Chargers defense down the stretch in that last game. You know, when we got to that second half, Travis Kelsey played a key part. He's their best offensive player, not named Patrick Mahomes. He's the guy that this offense will have to funnel through in this game, even more so than the Cardinals game. He might be back-to-back non-Mahomes MVPs to this team, but this game they're going to need him to be at his best again as we saw last time these two teams faced off
3: do you you, did you realize that maddie talked about the opposing teams tight ends as well this man (laughs) came back on the podcast and decided he was going to talk about tight ends on
2: four segments today I'm going to talk about a guy who could wind up covering a tight end from time to time. I'm going to go with yes, Justin let's go Reed. Tight ends. Uh, give me, give me the new safety edition for the Kansas City Chiefs. Like this is a guy that I think Steve Spagnolo can utilize in a lot of different ways, and I think the Chiefs will be um, exotic at times. And Justin Reed is a perfect chess piece to be exotic. Put him in the box. You can match him up man to man. You can play him deep. He can do a lot of different things. And so I think Justin Reed is going to be a crucial factor. I think this is a game that they unleash him a little bit. Um, It's a big game for them coming off a short week and having to know where Justin Reed is at all times will be very difficult coming off. It it can add a little element on a short week. Give me Justin Reed as the uh, non-Mahomes MVP, but Mahomes is going to be the MVP. That's going to do it for the Casey Laboratory. Thank you all so much for listening. It's good to be back with all of us together. We'll be back together again. Quick
1: 56 minutes. Yeah,
2: we, under A, under an hour, baby. We'll catch you later.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping